0: Testing, one, two, three, here we go. Live from the New Mexico Prickly Pear Festival, this is the Toasted Sister Podcast, and I'm Andy Murphy. We're here at the Historic Gutierrez Hubble House in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the fourth annual Prickly Pear Fest is going on right now. I'm Andy Murphy, creator, producer, and host of the Toasted Sister podcast. I started the show in 2017 and since then have talked with dozens of indigenous chefs, farmers, and food warriors about everything food sovereignty, health, climate change, culture, kitchen culture, you name it. All 78 other episodes are available wherever you listen to podcasts, and there is so much more to come. This is an independent show. If you like what you hear and you want to support the food journalism I do, check out Toasted Sister on Patreon, check out the booth outside, and you can see what else is on the website at toastedsisterpodcast.com. So, let's get this conversation started. In a plate of food, we can learn about a person's origins, history, and culture. Dive deeper and we can learn about a person's place in the community and how they're responding to good and bad changes in the environment. So, for us here, a plate of food or a single ingredient like a prickly pear holds a lot of story, personal stories, and community stories. And when we talk about changing the culinary narrative of Native America, we're talking about shaking off old concepts of indigenous food and people. And for some of you listening, this might be the first time hearing about Native food and Native people from actual Native people. So let me quickly introduce my Native guests. Ray Narano here is the chef and owner of the Minko Native American Fusion Food Truck. He's Santa Clara Pueblo and Odawa. Uh, Andrea Garza over there on that side is a caterer and owner of Mayahuel Catering and a program director for Cooking for Health. She's also enrolled in the Pilan Coahuiltecan Nation and she's a traditional Aztec dancer. We also have Addie Lucero, a traditional farmer and owner of Butterfly Naturals. She's Taos Pueblo. All right, well, Ray, let's start with you. Um, first, can you tell us a little bit about your culinary journey as a chef and um, tell us about how that led you up to Manko Native American Fusion?
1: Thank you for having me. The journey starts, uh 2002, when I graduated from culinary school, my original focus was to learn uh, fine dining. I did a lot of that in Arizona, came back to um, New Mexico, uh, where I guess the scene was a little different. So I joined uh, um, at the time. So I uh, did a lot of casino work as the casino industry was booming. So the first half of my uh, career was and about, midway through 15 years in, I, uh, made a transition back into fine dining also was a part of, a, the public food experience, book. together those paralleled. And, uh, from there, uh, I did a lot of private, uh, chefing for quite a while. Then I went back to the industry for a while. And then I decided that I just needed to be on my own. Menko was something that, uh, was kind of in the background we tried it once before as uh, just a catering um we had an opportunity to do it with the truck so um here we are
0: All right. So, you know, Native food, you know, has gone through a a bunch of transitions, of course, throughout history. Where do you see Native American food right now? And in your time cooking with Native American food and uh, talking with others about uh, Native American food, where do you see it like right uh, right now?
1: Um, It's an interesting question. The first part was when you, when you grow up on the reservation, you don't really uh, know uh, what's really going around in the food food scene or whatever. So uh, like being young, fried bread was like it was native food, you know. And then um, as, as I did the Pueblo food experience, I discovered that uh, there was so much more than native food. Uh, and uh, native food actually uh, influenced um, all the cuisines from around the world.
0: Um, why is it important for yourself and other folks in the native food scene right now? Why is it important to tell others about the origins of some of these foods? Like, I know you're talking about like chocolate and tomatoes and stuff like that.
1: Definitely for uh, for pride and community. I've been talking about this a lot. Where if you uh, tell a child that their uh, extent of culinary knowledge is in a fry bread, then that's as far as they're going to take it. But if you tell a child that their food and ingredients uh, influence world cuisine, then it changes their perspective of the world and how they view themselves. All
0: right. So, you know, what other important things about indigenous food do you want people to know about? Or let me ask it this way. What are some big misconceptions about indigenous food that you want to address and correct?
1: Well, I, I could answer this way, you know, just... Giving credit for the ingredients, like uh, that influenced different cuisines, like the tomato, how how that influenced so many different European dishes. Potatoes and those are all uh, indigenous ingredients. Uh, I mean, the corn, like of course, is huge, but you know the other ingredients play uh, huge roles as well.
0: Let's bring in Addie over here. Addie, can you quickly tell us about the kind of farming you do?
2: Um, I do a mixture of traditional farming, traditional being our traditional Pueblo crops from Taos Pueblo, as well as um, other foods and plants and medicines that I like to grow, like plant medicines. So this year I'm growing sweet corn, which is a beautiful uh, variety that I found up in uh, at a seed exchange, actually, (laughs) in uh, Colorado. And it's this really, really nice high elevation sweet corn, and it's coming out really nice, as well as um, uh, three sisters, which would be our Taos Pueblo beans, our ba'u, which is our pumpkin squash, as well as um, yellow corn, which isn't sweet corn, it's a little bit different. And I'm also growing another variety of beans that's coming from another um, tribal community. And then I'm growing some other plants like cilantro. I tried my hand at chili, didn't happen. (laughs) But um, just really trying to grow foods and plants that I use. I have some chamomile growing in the back and some varieties of tomatoes and eggplant and squash at my house. Okay. And uh, for
0: everybody who just showed up, we're talking about changing the culinary narrative of Native America. Addie, what kind of uh, stories do some of these traditional plants tell to your family, to the community?
2: When I think about our traditional plants, um, the, the plants that I'm growing, it really talks about the continuance. It talks about our resilience of our past and the continuation into our future um, with our future generations. It tells a story of our connections to those plants, um, to our dances, to our culture, our songs, as well as, you know, I think about the, the seasons. We're in a place of uh, climate change. And when I think about climate change, it's really scary because our plants are now, you know, they're, they're in a place where they're going to have to adapt, right? And we as farmers need to adapt them. So I purposely not, for this year, not watered as much as possible and um they're they're lovely so i think i'm creating a stronger seed that's going to take us into this you know next phase of our life you mentioned
0: it um but i want to you know, go deeper into how, uh, you know, indigenous agriculture is changing, you know, it's adapting to uh, the climate, but even before that, it had to adapt to colonization and uh, destruction from uh, non-native people, (laughs) Um, you know, know, hundreds of years ago, even like a couple decades ago. Uh, So you know, indigenous farming and agriculture and food, how do you see it uh, changing even further to adapt to, you know, what's what's going on now?
2: Uh, I mean, I see a, a reconnection happening with our communities, you know, like Ray was talking about here. He was talking about those food stories that our, our youth know. I mean, does it stop at fry bread or do we talk a little bit more about the beans? Do we talk a little bit more um, beyond what we're used of eating as feast food, which is known as feast food, right? What are we eating? We're eating that rabbit stew. You know, we're eating deer meat. We're eating, I mean, tons of different, you know, things that I, you know, I harvest a lot of, um, wow, which is wild spinach, you know? There's tons of food that we have available to us. So when you think about all the foods that we have that are available to us, not just necessarily farming that that just come out every season that are around us, kota tea, you know, uh, prickly pear. You know, I harvest a bunch of prickly pear, and how do we use that prickly pear? You know, is it just something that we're going to look at, or are we going to do things with? I make I make products out of it, but I also eat it, and so it's, it's a diuretic. You know, our food is our medicine, so these are things that we want to look at, and we want to inform our youth, our, our, our families, our communities, and encourage them to take a look at what's around us, and something that's seasonal that's coming out, how do we use that and and, and encourage your mind to work a little bit more and get creative with those um, ingredients. All right. Uh,
0: Let's go on to um, Andrea Garza over there on the end of the table. Um, Andrea, can you first um, further introduce yourself and what kind of work do you do with
3: um, uh, Cooking for Health? Yes, um, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Cooking for Health is a community program that is hosted by a partnership between Agricultura Network, um, which is a cooperative of organic farms throughout the state of New Mexico, um, along with uh, First Choice Community Healthcare. And we provide um, cooking classes, and we bring together different local chefs to do food demonstrations, kind of like what happened here today um, with the food demonstrations we had here at the Prickly Pear Festival. So we do that once a month, and we also um, provide uh, free produce from our farmers um, to the community as well.
0: And why do you think it's important to change the narrative of indigenous food? Why do you think it's important to set the record straight?
3: You know, our... Different narratives, but um, what first comes to mind is, you know, the current narrative that indigenous foods is extinct or non-existent, and really, I feel it's more about reintroducing the foods that we already consume on the daily and don't recognize that that they're indigenous foods. And I think that that is really important. It's just educating our people in our community and creating that consciousness of where our food comes from and how we consume on the daily traditional Native foods without even knowing it.
0: I want to go to that um, topic of reintroducing native food, reintroducing uh, indigenous food to um, a variety of different people. I mean, there's uh, there's foodies like us who, you know, love this stuff and it's easy to, you know, really get into it and really get into the history and uh, learn more about the um, issues behind uh, behind food, behind farming and, you know, there's, there's no shortage of all kinds of issues that happens when we think about food. But um, for people who, you know, um, you know, might not be very interested or, um, you know, very connected to uh, cooking and, and the culinary world, like what are some, what are some really good ways to, um, you know, maybe get people excited about, about food, about some of this programming that you do?
3: Well, I definitely think that when we think of food and cooking in terms of how our ancestors cooked and and their relation to food, um, I think is really important. And I think um, it can get, you know, people thinking thinking more about where their food comes from. What did my ancestors eat? How did they eat it? Where did it come from? The history that you know happened since then, and and what. Commodity foods really are about, and what they've, you know, how they've contributed to dietary illnesses amongst indigenous people.
0: All right, I want to go back to uh, Ray here. The name of your food truck is Menko. Native American fusion. Uh, what is fusion, and how does it fit into uh, the current identity of Native food, and just you know the, the current definition of the culinary world?
1: Okay, so what we're trying to do, uh, what we're trying to create, is um, is bringing some of these ancient ingredients back. Uh, good examples are salad. Uh, we have um, popped quinoa, um, popped amaranth. So we have these ancient ingredients. But we also have to have food that's an awesome flavor. So it could also uh, be foodie-like, so people would enjoy it also. So so it's kind of walking that, that parallel of, of serving awesome food but sneaking in those ingredients. So um, they're there health-wise. Maybe you don't always know they're there, but but they're definitely there to add health. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest misconceptions about Native American food is that it just comes uh, off a a fire outside, and we're always supposed to do everything that our great-grandmothers and our grandmothers before that have always done, or else it's not Native American food. Um, But really, like, what Native American food is, is, like, us cooking and eating and experiencing uh, Korean food and experiencing, like, Italian food, and, um, you know, we it's It's inevitable that we have this really big wide palate. we can't help but like mix in butter and uh pasta and <laughs> white rice sometimes into our uh you know kitchens and into some of the you know some of the special foods that come out like during holidays and celebrations and stuff like that um you know uh, how does uh, and I want to ask Addie over there. Um, Addie, how does how do you see mixing in you know different flavors and uh, even different seeds like in in a garden and in a farming uh, project? How do you see that really uh, telling a, a newer story of the community right there?
2: Well, I mean, as I mentioned, I, I grow eggplant. <laughs> yeah. It's not from my community my focus isn't always solely on indigenous foods when I'm growing things, you know, it's just tends to be what I like. Also, like we talked about, you know, having this wide palette of where we can go to. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to mix my seeds, you know, because as a farmer and as a seed keeper, I want to keep my my seeds as, as pure as I can for purposes of trade and continuation. But In terms of growing foods that I like and that I enjoy and that are healthy and beneficial for me and my family, Um, that's what I like to do. Um, I notice a lot in my community that um, when people are growing foods, they're growing a lot of um, different things in in the same manner, you know, things that they like to eat, that they enjoy, that they um, like to serve up, you know, with particular meals, you know, that they have. so yeah, I, I just really kind of see it as a as a as a a preference in this fusion <laughs> that we have, right, um, for in our within our own homes and gardens. Right, and that um, that fusion is also
0: you know like an intertribal sort of fusion. I know um, I've had uh, you know a couple of special meals of yours, uh, Ray, that mixed uh, wild rice and salmon and corn from down here. When when you're serving uh, you know special meals like that that mix you know all these different um, ingredients from uh, traditional ingredients from different tribes, what are you telling the person who's eating the food when you're when you're mixing it up like that
1: well i'll first start by saying uh, mother nature is the true artist and you know a lot of it's just being exposed to these different ingredients and being able to paint a picture of how they're going to taste together um, and then putting it together so it has that explosive um, flavor profile Um, also some crunch and some you know and just making sure it's well balanced
0: you know, it also shows, you know, like the entrepreneurial uh, nature of uh, Native people when we have all of these ingredients available. I mean, we can go and buy wild rice from one of the Great Lakes and have it here in New Mexico, and we can have uh, maple syrup from up in the East Coast from those tribes here in our pantries here. I mean, it's uh, I, I think that's um, also the story that... Uh, Um, is being told right now is a you know um, part of that changing narrative of native food is we're also entrepreneurs too I want to talk about with um, Andrea over there I want to talk about um, you mentioned the spiritual side of indigenous food when we talked the other day or yesterday last night Literally last night <laughs> okay uh, so so tell us tell us more about the uh, the spiritual side of indigenous food.
3: Um, I think when we aspire to be uh, wholesome human beings um, it 's important to recognize the connection between mind, body, and spirit and not separating those from one another, so um, like Addie mentioned, using Food as medicine. When you use food as medicine, it's not just nurturing, you know, your your physical body or your health, but it um, is nurturing your spirit and your mind as well. And so, um, I think that when you are able to have respect, you know, for Mother Earth and f- respect for for the land and connection to the land and respect for the people who are growing our foods, um, and that it includes prayer and thanksgiving, right, giving thanks for for Mother Earth and, and her elements, I think that transfers over, you know, into our food when we include prayer, even in cooking, or when you say you have... A kitchen item a kitchen tool that was passed down from you know it was your mother's or your grandmother's and and you use that to cook your food um that's a way of honoring you know your ancestors and remaining connected and so i think when we share stories or when we think about food as medicine and when we were feeling sick as a kid what did our grandma or what did our mom you know use to heal us and continuing to pass those down, you know, to, to now your children or creating those traditions within your own kitchen by honoring, by honoring that kind of history within your, your family or your community um, I think is what kind of brings that connection between mind, body, and spirit and that it just um, includes, you know, spirituality and prayer in our cooking, in our kitchens and honoring our ancestors, our traditions with, in relation to food.
0: All right, and I saw uh, you guys kind of nodding your head. Um, your heads, uh, uh, Addie, do you want to maybe add more to like the the
2: medicinal part or the the spiritual part of indigenous food? I had wrote a little bit about a post um, that I read. There was just this really beautiful practice in the Philippines, I believe it was. You know, of of um, you know praying for your. Your your food, you know, as you're growing it, as you're harvesting it, as you're processing it, and then cooking it. And we have a joke here, you know, in in New Mexico. I've heard this a lot, not just in our tribal communities, but, you know, I know a lot of Spanish folks that have this joke: is that chili was hot, she was pissed off. There's this thing about energy transfer, you know, and we talked a little bit about that you know, a long time ago, and we talk about our spirituality and, you know, as somebody who gathers medicines, who, who makes medicines as well as products, I don't have very many connections to tons and tons of plants because I tend to work with plants that are within my community, like hyper and regional, um, but I never, ever harvest a plant without saying a prayer and asking permission, like ever, offering something, offering water, you know, cornmeal. Um, whatever it is I might have sometimes I'll see something and I, I I won't have you know I won't have an intention to go out there and harvest but um, I make sure I ask that permission and and if the plant says no I don't harvest it you know I move right on and I give thanks and and sometimes you know it's it's not a, a voice that you hear maybe you, you look around and you see there's not many you know and and they have to go to seed and you got to consider um, a lot of different things so that's another part of it those considerations um, I I tend to not harvest, you know, um, the the first season of cota because those are for our pollinators. Those are the first things that come out. And I tend to harvest really late, like now um, when I get the cota. It's a little bit drier, um, but, you know, we know that our pollinators have gotten it. A lot of it's gone to seed, and it's left in for, you know, our future. And so really thinking about that. And then one of the things that I read was this beautiful um, comment by... uh, a lady out in Los Angeles who said that really a big part of it is all these things leading up to it, but sitting down and before you eat that meal giving thanks because it calms you down and it centers you and it brings you into a place to receive all the blessings that have been given right before. So when you're doing that, you're absorbing all that good energy and you're opening yourself up for that too.
0: Ray, why don't you um, also talk about like the the healing part of indigenous food? Maybe the spiritual part of indigenous food. I know you mentioned that you were part of that uh, that project.
1: Definitely. So um, food is life. Um, spirituality. We offer food when we before we eat. We put food back on the earth. Also, we pray with our food with our corn mother. Food is very spiritual. Uh, but we know from uh, scientific data that eating indigenous diet can alter your health. Uh, we had several people that did a pre-blood test and a post-blood test, ate a all-indigenous diet for three months. And uh, some of these people were borderline diabetics, uh, high blood pressure, the whole list of uh, health issues. And um, a lot of these health issues subsided. Um, there's scientific proof to to back that up uh, became a book so um, it's very very factual and it's very real
0: Uh, what is this book called again Uh,
1: the Pueblo food experience
0: Ah, okay all right Um, for everybody who just showed up right now this is a live podcast recording we are talking about the changing culinary narrative of Native America and um, I want to go on to a question about um, uh, permission. Addie was just talking about uh, permission, getting permission to do, you know, different things with food. Uh, who should be in control of our culinary narrative? Does anybody want to go first? Let's go to Addie.
2: <laughs> There's no permission for our culinary narrative in terms of one person. I mean, I'd say community first, you know, like, I think you asked me a question many years ago, <laughs> Andy, about having permission to, you know, what do I think about, you know, the, the work that I do, you know, with some of the plants that are considered sacred, you know, sacred medicines. Um, I know better because I was raised to have that respect. I have, you know, traditions, values, and a connection to my culture. Some people don't. I would say seeking that permission if you're going to do something outwardly but if you're going to do something at home in the privacy of your own home then yeah definitely I wouldn't go out there and go into race community you know just say oh yeah this is you know this is a Santa Clara you know male it's traditional because I don't know that I don't have that connection you know so definitely seeking that and if it's something very sacred I would say probably looking towards your elders, looking towards, you know, um, family members, um, community Kiva leaders, people like that who um, hold those, you know, that significance and that special place in our communities, you know, to talk to. All
0: right, cool. Thank you. Uh, Ray, you want to tackle that one too? Who who should be in charge of our culinary narrative? Who should be in charge of uh, (coughs) changing
1: it? Well, that's a very uh, interesting question. Um, I'll take that from, a, I guess, in a modern perspective. I guess we're uh, all responsible for our, our own well-being in the, in the, in the, at the end of the day. Um, but I, I believe we have a responsibility to um, our community to at least pass on to our next generations um, our, our identity, our food identity, and who we are through those uh, links i think that's uh, uh very important uh so so i guess i'm saying i guess it's everybody's responsibility to pass those things on
0: andrea do you want to tackle that one
3: well, I think that Ray and Addie had very good points. Indigenous communities are ultimately, you know, the ones who should be changing the narrative or identifying what's important um, for the, the survival or the continuance of, you know, food traditions within our communities and within our, um, our tribal nations as well. All right. Cool. Thank you.
0: Ray you mentioned fry bread. Um that is still like the the thing that pops into everybody's mind when we when we mention Native American food and indigenous food they're like, "Oh, is it a podcast about fry bread?" Or is it a podcast about getting high and eating fry bread? No. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know how do we how do we move beyond fry bread? Um, how do we uh, you know get beyond that story and that narrative of fry bread? You want to go, Ray?
1: Oh uh, sure, um, you know it's uh, definitely a challenge as um, when you uh, are culinarily trained, um, everything in the fry bread is um, what they train you to put into food to. Make it uh, interesting and palatable for people, because in the culinary school they're training you to uh, put fats and uh, sears and different types of things onto food. So, um, so in that in that aspect, it's uh, it's designed almost to be addictive. Um so that that is the the challenge you know is um teaching your your kids again you know like hey like there's more to Native American food than fry bread sometimes it might be putting the other food on the fry bread you know as as we talked about fusion uh using these uh foods as bridges or crutches to inform and teach um what the reality really is
0: all right Um, uh, Andrea you want to tackle that one too Uh, moving beyond fry bread moving beyond some of these like um, you know not not stereotypical but just like really widely known uh, basic you know on the
3: surface foods Definitely, and I think that goes back to just, you know, reintroducing our ancestral ingredients like Ray mentioned earlier, quinoa and amaranth. I think what is really important too is with this intertribal sharing of ancestral foods, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of similarities um amongst the tribes and being able to share creation stories in my tradition the ant people, the ants, were the ones that brought the corn and the chia and the amaranth to the people. And so I feel like when you share stories like that, it can really motivate you to want to try these ingredients, to want to learn more about them, and, you know, maybe try something different other than fry bread or stuff like that.
2: Addy, you want to go next? Yeah, I mean, these are great answers. Um... I'd say just, you know, getting really creative with your foods, you know, your, your indigenous ingredients. I had a challenge when, when my son was during his traditional time and, you know, whatever I cooked, fry bread of course. <laughs> and I didn't cook fry bread, by the way, I refuse to cook fry bread. I'm against fry bread. Um, Just because I've seen what it's done in our communities and I understand where it comes from. Um, Don't get me wrong, I've eaten it and all that, but I feel like there's so much more to food than um, just fry bread. I'm coming from a kid's palate, you know, understanding at eight years old that he had to eat all these traditional foods that I had no idea how to prepare. I'm like, am I just going to like fry meat every day? I mean, I don't know, you know. So just getting creative, I mean, I got to a point where I was making, like, blue corn cakes with flowers on top of them and this, like, almost like wajape sauce, you know, with, with um, wild blueberries and choke cherries and wild plums and just making all this beautiful food. And I'll tell you right now, any day of that the week, if I ask my son what he wants, he'll want something, you know, with our traditional foods. He prefers it.
0: You're talking in retrospect, you know, that was when your son was very small and now he's like a tall, you know, young man now. <laughs> and, you know, over the years, you know, you've gotten really good at cooking. I've had some of your your cooking and it's really, really good. I mean, I know you don't uh, call yourself a chef. Um, you've maybe done a little bit of catering or a little bit of cooking for people, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm a cooker, a are a cooker. <laughs> I'm not a chef, a cooker. <laughs> All right. In the last couple of years, in the last decade or so, uh, food media has really grabbed on to some Native American food. I know, you know, everybody's still addicted to the Sioux Chef up in uh, <laughs> Minnesota and Owanmi uh, going going on up there. But, you know, how do you think we can kind of uh, maybe move that, move that along and, and help that kind of narrative of, oh, Native Americans have food and restaurants. You know, that's still kind of the narrative that's being told in uh, food media of, of, of Native food. Um, how do you think we can, you know, kind of uh, move on
2: from that?
1: Invest in us. Yeah. Invest in our businesses. We'll grow our businesses. We're passionate about what we do.
2: I mean, I'm I'm 100% right there with Ray. It's just um, acknowledging, you know, that there's more to, you know, the story than just, you know, one powerhouse, I mean, no knock to um, the sous chef or anything like that, because he's really helped bring, you know, this awareness and create a lot of opportunities for, um, you know, our native chefs, our native um, foods and stories, but really um, thinking more along the lines of, you know, individuals, like, you know, Ray's amazing, you know, he's amazing, and I worked with Ray, and um, he's he's brought a lot of, you um, awareness and and creativity and amazing food you know out there i mean i'm not a chef again but i love to cook with our foods and i think just opening that dialogue and 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 um within our communities as you have right i mean your your podcast is a start when it started it was just like who what like you said (laughs) right but now it's here and everybody i think looks to you and continue with these stories you know and that support
0: Thank you. When you want to go next?
3: I would just like to add that as foodies or um, business owners, we can also support each other. Um, I was really excited to be here today. I knew of, you know, Addie and I knew of um, Toasted Sister. So I'm super excited to meet you guys in person. I um, was not familiar with Ray, but I tried everything on your menu and everything was so delicious. If we had not been here together today, I I'm not sure how I would have, you know, learned about you. And so I feel like um, we can reach out, we can look, we can find people that are doing similar work to what we're doing and support each other, um, as well as um, everything that Addie and Ray said. And connect, connect with your people, yeah.
0: All right, cool. Yeah, I'm excited to go over to the Manko food truck after this and get those uh, sweet potatoes with the marshmallow sauce on top. (laughs) Ray, where'd you harvest those marshmallows?
1: (laughs) That was the fusion part.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right, so we're, uh, you know, of course, at the Prickly Pear Festival here. Um, what What's your favorite uh, prickly pear food, um, you know, your favorite way to use prickly pear?
2: Yeah, I use it in a lot of different ways. I do grind the seeds down, but I, I make an oil out of them, and I use it in a face serum that I have called free radical face oil. And I also powder it, and I love to use that in different products. I made a soap with it, a sugar scrub, a face mask, food for your face. <laughs> but I also like to give it to my mom. It's, a, it's extremely good diuretic, and she's diabetic, and um, she likes sweets. So if I'm gonna give her something sweet, that's a really good, it's a good summertime drink to have with lemonade and ice, so it's really nice. Nice. Um, what about you, Andrea? Like they
3: said, there's so many, so many different ways to use um, prickly pear or the cactus. Um, Today I did a food demonstration and we made a prickly pear agua fresca um, and we passed out samples and everybody loved it. And so but my actual my favorite way is just like that raw, just by itself, cold, like nice and cold nice
0: so we're, we're kind of coming down to the end of the hour here um i wanted to give you guys a chance to um you know mention anything that you'd like to mention to my audience here the po- you know on the podcast and and the audience we have here at the the prickly pear festival is there anything else you'd like to tell folks about uh our culinary narrative and our changing culinary narrative let's go to addy
2: I'd like to just say, like, we talked a little bit about our food as our medicine. I'd like to think a little bit more because I'm a a natural product maker. Our food isn't only, you know, something that we ingest, you know, in a prepared meal. These are things that we can put on our bodies. These are things that we can put in our our hair that we can um, take within the same way. You know, our our skin is the largest part of our, our body, like about 65% of everything that you put on your body, um, like lotions or soaps or shampoos and things like that go directly into your bloodstream. So what you're taking in is that plant. I would say just to think a little bit more about the products that you're purchasing, the things that you're putting on your body, things that you're putting in your hair, as well as the food that you're eating and ingesting.
3: All right, Andrea, you wanna go next? I feel like here in New Mexico, we're really blessed. Because we do have access to farmers like Addie, or to ranchers or to hunters, you know, within our f- communities, within our families. And so um, I just feel like it's super important to utilize what, what we have access to. And here in this region, um, I didn't mention my catering business, which is Maya Wells Catering. Um, And we specialize in indigenous foods and we really try to be very conscious about the ingredients that we use and where it comes from and take pride in being able to offer wild game or um, ancestral ingredients that I specialize in also a fusion of ancestral ingredients from the south and and from the north in the menu that we offer. Uh, we do offer wild game and we also offer ancestral ingredients such as grasshoppers and crickets and stuff that we um, consume down south and as well as traditional moles i uh, import ingredients um, from the south because that's where i'm from and i just want to say thank you to Addie and to Ray and to Toasted Sister Podcast as well. It is um, an honor to be here with you guys and learn from you, and I hope we can continue these conversations. All right, cool. Uh, Ray?
1: Just keep it short. You know, it's a really exciting time to be um, Native, and it's a really exciting time to be in the food uh, industry, keep updated because there's a lot of cool things coming. That's it.
0: So that is the show. Uh, Our guests were Ray Narano, chef and owner of Menko, Addie Lucero, farmer and owner of Dancing Butterfly Naturals, and Andrea Garza, caterer and owner of Mayahuel Catering. Thank you so much to the Prickly Pear Festival for inviting me to take part in this great event. Special thank you to my dad, Tim Murphy, over here for engineering today's show. And um, of course, thanks to my sister, Alicia, and mom, Kathy, they're always helping me with whatever I do, and um, you know, thank you all for coming to this first ever live recording of the Toasted Sister podcast. Music for Toasted Sister is by C.W. Ione from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Some equipment help comes from Native America Calling and the Kiwanic Broadcast Corporation. I'm Andy Murphy, creator, producer, and host of this award-winning podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Alright, I'll let you guys get back to your booths done. Thank you. <laughs>